0: I'm Emily Kyle and this is Local. This is a conversation with
1: Abigail Rothery.
0: Abby is a painter who is currently wading through the waters of drawing and printmaking. We recorded together in April of last year during her residency at q sort of I feel like I have so so many questions hmm. we do normally start at the beginning we were just we were actually just speaking about your family and growing up okay um so born in the UK born in the UK moved over here when you were 10 yes yeah. did you move from the UK to Tasmania yeah to Hobart. To Hobart. And that's where you've sort of been ever since? Mm. We arrived,
1: I think it was 2004 or 2005. I can't remember. But, um, yeah, on Australia Day, Invasion Day, Australia Day.
0: Wow, what a day to arrive. From
1: England and from oh, the what? area of England that the First Fleet left from as well. Wow. So it was all this kind of crazy, weird like historical axis. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't, oh. Yeah. And then learning about it afterwards in school, yeah, it was, it was wild. Yeah.
0: What was it like, that change between sort of the UK schooling system and the Australian schooling system?
1: Um, is there much difference? There was a bit of a gap because um, obviously the term time is different. They start in September over there and we start in February. Mm. Um, and I had just pretty much finished what is their grade four equivalent? And then I came here and the age group for me was grade four. So I kind of repeated mm. a year. Yeah, it doesn't translate. I feel. Um, but my parents were um, adamant that I'd go into my same age group that I wouldn't because I, I could have, yeah, they had some tests and I could have gone into the grade above and been fine, but they wanted me to be with my own age yeah important.
0: I think socially definitely yeah. important and also I think no matter how wrong it might be, we do seem to have these specific sort of milestones these expectations of children at certain ages mm-hmm. um, and that that's sort of socially indoctrinated so the difference yeah, between I found
1: that so frustrating yeah.
0: That, that. Hmm. It's difficult to,
1: you know, and things like over here, you can learn how to drive when you're 16. Yeah. They didn't let me take behind the wheel until I was 18 because in the UK you have to wait and it's a lot longer and it was sort of this, like, they don't want to let go of this little bit of, I don't know. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 And then they quickly realised when I started uni and still didn't have my licence that that was maybe a mistake. Yeah, how difficult. I was always asking for lifts everywhere and catching the bus. And, yeah, it's just uh, transport here is not the same as in the UK.
0: No. Yeah. Even um, sort of the area that I was living in when I was going to uni, it was sort of like a two-hour commute.
1: Oh, my gosh. Wow.
0: But then there were people who were coming, like four-hour commute, coming to the university, not because it was, not that it's a bad university or a good university, it was, was university. just that the, the um, QT. Okay, yep. So it, it's just that uh, public transport mm. in, that, in those areas, if you're sort of not in the city centre, mm-hmm. is uh, terrible, just terrible. Yeah. And I think that is probably the the same you could say the same about uh, Tasmania if not worse yeah
1: yeah for sure like how many times does the bus come up here once twice a week yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah 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 and even that that sort of information is not easily accessible no what was it like growing up with your parents what are your parents like they're cool they're um they
1: kind of grew apart after we moved to Australia it was it was sort of this gradual distancing that I felt between them, which crescendoed into a divorce when I was eighteen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um which I kind of saw it coming. I don't think my sister did so much, but it was yeah, it was a bit sad. And that was just as I was finishing school. Um Are you the older
0: sister or the younger? Yeah. are the older sister. Older. <laughs> Yeah. Do you think that it was one of those sort of situations where the couple tries to wait until the kids have. A little moved bit. Yeah.
1: I could see that it probably would have been healthier for them to separate longer ago. Mm. But um, yeah, you know, they're both happier now for it. Um, yeah. And we've healed as a family. You know, my sister and I go between. Two separate family units, and that that works. Yeah, you just you want the best for your parents, really. At the end of it, as as kids of a divorced family, I think it's it's hard to see them go
0: through it. Um, especially older, well, not especially older. I mean, I think it's it's difficult at any stage of your childhood and and watching that happen, experiencing that hmm. happening to your family. I think maybe young young children are a little bit more adaptable, and when you're a little bit older, it can the the change can feel quite stark,
1: yeah, it was a big change um but by that point, I was sort of really struggling with this. I've been wanting this independence for ages, and my last few years of high school, I was really kind of trying to burgeon into Mm. who I wanted to be and it was very stuck in this. I don't quite know what's going on in my family life and also I don't know where I want to go in the future and I was a bit directionless and didn't quite know and was applying to art school but then thinking, oh, maybe not. I ended up taking a gap year and doing a personal training course, which I've never really used, but I've been quite sporty and always been involved in athletics, badminton few other things badminton yeah i'm going away with the state team again later this year hopefully if if things go away for um for COVID, it's in sydney but we'll see i yet to be announced the date
0: i just feel like i've never met anyone that plays badminton
1: (laughs) it was oh it was strange my dad just took my sister and i along to a come and try day when i was 13 and the um when i was 12 sorry And there was a coach there who saw me having a go and sort of said, oh, we're looking for a few more girls for the state team then when I was 12.
0: Wow, you just had it.
1: Yeah, and Alan was great. He was, yeah, he was a real energy powerhouse to get kids up and doing things. So we went away to Melbourne later that year and I had a ball and I've been going sort of semi on and off for every year pretty much, yeah, with that and doing tournaments it's That's fun it's amazing. a different world it's kind of yeah it's yeah. it's one of these things like the art world that you're kind of I feel like I flip in and out of it a bit and I mm-hmm. yeah there are different communities and I think I am a real people person but it does also get a little bit much for me when people don't accept the fact that I'm not um I'm a little bit transient and I might not necessarily Mm. be there for the entire time. And, but I am loyal. Like I'll I'll come back and do the same thing again and again. And, you know, play for Tasmania and train and be involved with things. But my routine is very all over the place. And I've always struggled with the discipline of staying in one place and figuring it out. Sticking with one thing. I'm
0: quite multilateral. Because I, I feel like, that, that really resonates with me. I feel like I moved, um, as an adult, moved around a lot. I feel like I mm-hmm. um, jump from thing to thing and I think it's really easy to say that's a commitment issue, but I... It's very also easy to look at it, it from isn't. the
1: outside as a commitment issue. Yeah, but I yeah. don't think it is. And but I- I've had the same thing happen in relationships I've been in as well where people say, oh, well, you're just a commitment foe or you feel like, yeah, you don't want to be tied down. And, yeah, from a monogamous point of view, from a traditional point of view, from that original, I don't know, wife and two kids point of view mm. of the world, sure, that is, Yeah. Yeah. Great, so I'm a commitment phobe, that's it, just blanket statement me like that. But I don't think that's what it is for me. I think I'm just interested and excited about a lot of different things and I just want to, you know, seize the day and seize life and try to do as much as I can.
0: And I think that that probably comes down to something that I feel like I've spoken about on the podcast Mm -hmm. um, from multiple points of view, which is this... This idea of social expectations um, and Mm. sort of, you know, that the whole idea, which is that this is what a family looks like: you grow up in a family, you go to school, you get a job, you find the person, you you have a family, and the cycle starts again. And you find the one thing. Yes, and you you do. You do the job. (laughs) You know, you you get the job at the warehouse, and then you stay at the warehouse for forty-five years, and you get the plaque. That says you've been here for forty-five years, and that's your retirement party. But that's so not what
1: a career path is nowadays, I think. Or at mm. least that's not been my experience. You know, I've been, I've been in hospitality really since I was sixteen. Um, my friend Beck, who used to go to school with me, just, um, posted something on Facebook saying, "Hey, we're really short-staffed at Sandy Bay Wood Fired Pizza." Um, and so I trundled down the road. And did a shift with them and they're like, oh, great. You're great. Let's hire you. And then I worked there for a year. That was my crazy kind of introduction to HOSPO. And then one of my good friends, Maria, her uncle owns D'Angelo's restaurant in Battery Point, which is a lovely Italian restaurant, one of my faves in Hobart. And they were looking for people. So I went in and got a job there and I've done some temp work as a waitress as well, doing big functions of like a thousand people in the casino um,
0: yeah I mean that's various uh, other places thinking about it, sort of commitment or mm-hmm. whatever it is like yeah. you, that that sounds like the opposite of that that sounds like you're an incredibly hard multi-talented worker
1: I'd say yeah I'm very versatile yeah and I'm kind of that's been quite present in my art as well I'm trying all these different things. I haven't done liner cutting since high school, but with this show that I've just done at Q Bank with this two weeks, I really wanted to try that. And I was just having my fingers crossed that Ray would let me <laughs> <laughs> um, in I think and have a print with him, which is, is such is a mentor, amazing. Yeah. No, yeah. he's been so great. And I'm so grateful to have met him and Helena. They've, yeah, they're awesome people to know.
0: So I definitely to. want to talk about mm-hmm. this show. You know, I saw the work before it was everything was fully set up. But you know, back to the conversation that we had last year at uh, the conglomerate show, I really want to talk about Windows. I really want to talk about Windows, yeah. because you know we're flipping through your your journal mm-hmm. and you know, Windows are so prevalent. Mm. And you were talking about that um, at the Conglomerate show. And how this is something, windows have been something that have been on your mind for quite a long time. Mm. Mm. So what, what is the attraction?
1: I think it's, it's that intersection between indoor and outdoor. Mm-hmm. And whether that be in a literal sense with the physical outside versus inside a building or whether that be the relationship between two people and how you see someone versus how they perceive themselves or how they feel inside. And so I think it's a really big metaphor that I want to keep exploring in my work mm. for a load of reasons. This mural that I've just painted in Queenstown is also a window.
0: And it's beautiful. It's so dynamic. Thank you. That it's was, it, it was
1: all a very rushed decision and I was yeah, really grateful for the Cuban guys for letting me do it. Mm. Um, because I just kind of very offhandedly messaged them and said, oh, this, this mural of goodies is looking a little bit forlorn. Um, you know, yeah. the paint was cracking. I don't know if they had primed it properly or whether it's just a very weathered wall that keeps getting battered by rain and hail. Even in the time that I've painted there, I've noticed that there's bits that have been chipped off by hail and things. So we'll see how long it lasts. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah, happy to have been able pretty. to have done it. Um, and that was – so that mural is based on a really nice drive, a really nice day that I had in my first week here two weeks ago with my friend Harry Bo, who's also a painter. He came up and visited and we had a little drive around – Stopped under some bridges and he did a little bit of graph (laughs) (laughs) just quietly and I did a little bit of um, sketching and, yeah, it was a really lovely day and he has all these things on his dash all the time and it's a very chaotic but lovely space to be in and I just really enjoyed that day um, with him. So I got inspired to paint
0: it. I think that there's something, you know, I haven't seen the mural in person but I have seen photographs of it and I... There is something really joyful about it. I mm. think that you having this lovely day translates, <laughs> immediately translates in the work. Mm. It just it feels nice. It feels nice.
1: Yeah, and with the window thing, we were going to – I was tempted if he was going to be coming back up this week, the weather didn't permit it, and also he's just been um, all over the place doing stuff. Um, he has this deal with Taz Water. He paints a lot of um, the hydro tanks Oh wow! Around the place, really big jobs, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's really cool. Um, and he really enjoys painting mountains. And I sort of said to him, "Oh, well, you could do a mountain scene, and then I'll paint the window around it, and it can be this dual work."
0: Oh, that sounds really cool. Um, maybe
1: we'll do it some other time eventually, yeah. in a different way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm very keen on collaborating with people with this idea of windows as well, and having it be not only the contrast from inside and outside, but also between two different artists and having one frame the other. I think that's a really interesting thing that I want to keep Mm. playing with and different mediums. And there's so many ways to build contrast. And I think I'm only just discovering how that's working for me. Um, And being able to play with things like printmaking, which is such a, I think, contrast based process because you have the positive and negative Um, that you're thinking about all the time in taking away or adding Mm. with printmaking that I'm definitely going to have to keep printing and keep doing a lot of experiments with that. Basically my art practice is me doing a load of experiments and there's something that really stuck with me from art school. You know, Mm. I had multiple teachers say to me, I remember Neil Haddon saying to me in first year, oh, you've just got to be a mad scientist. And I kind of didn't really understand him at the time, but no, I really do. You know, you just, you try things and some will work out and some won't.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's something that, I think that's something that a lot of creatives, and a lot of artists and makers try to do is be playful. It's really, it's really hard to, <laughs> I think mm. it's really, that's a really challenging thing. You know, I was talking to someone recently about D&D mm-hmm. and, you know, they were talking about making a podcast playing D&D and that's something that is um, quite popular at the moment. And I think it's I think it's fantastic, honestly. But they were sort of saying that one of the biggest challenges with a game like d is that you need to have the ability to play pretend, which, you know, kids have inherently. Mm,
1: but you lose it as an adult.
0: It's something, and yeah. I know for me, I find it really challenging i remember when i was a kid and i was really playful and i do a lot of theater stuff and now as an adult i can't imagine getting up on a stage and playing a character mm. you know and yeah i think it's I the know, same like with art of, making some of
1: my earliest memories are playing in my grandparents backyard and they'd give me a little seed tray yeah and say oh go on abby make your own garden and i'd get all their weeds which they were thrilled about <laughs> And then put them into this little make a path and maybe make a little pond with some, you know. Yeah. um, With a little dish or whatever and then put all these little rocks in and all these weeds with trees growing in this (laughs) magical garden that I'd make. And I'd spend hours doing that. Me and my sister both did.
0: Yeah.
1: And doll's houses as well was something that I used to really get into and creating little stories and worlds and,
0: yeah. I think that that's something that, there must be a connection between artists and kids who really throw themselves into mm, their imagination yeah. because I was talking to Caitlin and she was talking about this game that she would play with her sisters with dolls with these these paper dolls you know and uh, Josh was talking about building these little boats out of leaves and sort of sending them down. Oh, I you, used to do that know, too. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: just great things like that that you forget about as yes, an adult. But uh, I think we should really hold on to it or at least try to. Yeah,
0: yeah, and even I'm thinking about Carl when when we recorded together and he was saying I really just want to go back to that mm-hmm. childlike. Mm place and it's yeah. it's something that is so hard to hold on to. So when you've got your yes, your lecturer you that know, you have to be a mad scientist. Yeah,
1: well that's great. It's, all all that's the, stuff. the best advice yeah. The yeah. staff that I worked with at Utahs in my undergrad were really great and I'm really grateful to them. They were, yeah. Definitely the best part about my university experience. Um
0: yeah.
1: yeah. So it's been sad in a lot of other ways. Like university wasn't necessarily all that I thought it could be cracked up to be. Um, They've really struggled at UTAS and I really, yeah, I don't want to get political talking about it too much, but I was working with the union when I was there. I was the art school rep for students. And just to see the amount of money going to other campuses and facilities and the art school falling by the wayside and closing departments, you mm. know, and not offering subjects and slowly the range and the depth of what is being taught is diminishing and yeah. it's really, really sad. So things like they're talking about, well, they don't do life drawing anymore, which I'm really furious about. Yeah. They don't offer art theory or art history as a major anymore. They've lost a lot of the theory staff that were there when I first started, and that's a real shame. They've lost some technicians as well. Uh, (laughs) And it's all due to cuts and things going online and them saying they're saving money, but really they're losing out on the right student experience and Mm. the right,
0: yeah. Yeah, I... I I think that that's something that seems to be happening across the board. Oh, I, yeah, Australia-wide like, it's happening with I, the
1: capitalization of university in Australia, yeah. especially with the in- international student base that we've drawn. Um, because those yeah. fees are so high, it overtook coal as an export for Australia, oh which is God. just ridiculous. Yeah, so it's, it's insane to me that they've wasted a lot of what used to be an amazing art school. I got yeah. I was taught in grade eleven and twelve by Helen Wright, who's a painter, printmaker in Hobart, and partner of David Keeling, who's an amazing painter as well. Mm. And they were urging me to go to Melbourne. They say that they said to me, "Oh, Abby, you know, don't stay in Hobart. The art school's not what it used to be, and we're really sad about it." And I kind of just naively thought that it would still be okay and things would be all right. And in some ways it was, and I met some great people and had a great experience. But I also made that experience a lot better for myself by really trying and pushing for things and being involved with stuff, which not everyone has the capacity to do. Not everyone has the opportunity to do that. And also went on an exchange to France, which I would recommend to anyone, yeah, who's a student, definitely look into an exchange really early and then push for it. I had to fight to go. I had to be in the office, in the admin department on the main campus every day pretty much telling them which subjects I wanted to do over there and how it was going to work in my degree and I needed to leave and that this was going to be the best thing for me and it was. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit sad but anyway, we'll, yeah, we'll move on because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not there anymore and I don't really plan on going back for those reasons. Yeah. I would love to do honours, but I don't think I can do it here just because of the way that the school's gone and the, the things that I've seen as an undergrad there that shouldn't be the case at, an, at a lovely art school, that is in a lovely building with gorgeous staff,
0: mm. that Utahs as a whole has really undermined. It sounds like you did become an incredible advocate. Uh, for change, whether for a small amount of time that change occurred or not, it's important that it, it it's spoken about. It's important that someone says, "This isn't <laughs> working. This isn't right." This, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I do remember, and I, 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 I get really
1: frustrated. I know I met a girl a few weeks ago who's just in her first year at art school there, and she had the same kind of big eyes and, you know, bright future idealistic approach to how she wanted art school to go for her. And Mm. I just identified so strongly with the person that I was when I was a first year and I had to try really hard not to be jaded talking to her about it because I didn't want to ruin (laughs) um, the image that she had, but also being mindful of the, the reality of it, which is a little bit dark. Yeah. Maybe they can turn it around. I don't know. The new vice chancellor might have a good, outcome that he's able to work towards. But it's a whole change of culture that needs to happen. And not only at a university level, but also at a state and federal government level in terms of our university structure and how courses are taught.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a biggie. It, it really is. <laughs> and it's, you know, I think personally, I think that the fact that it's left up to a handful of people The the fact that, you know, you've come away from that experience saying, and and this is so often I think what happens at a lot of universities, but also not just universities, um, schools in general, any kind of education system, people come away from that experience saying, oh, thank God there was this one lecturer. Thank God there was this one Yeah, teacher. the people
1: really make the place. And I feel like you find that wherever you go. Mm. I've certainly found it here in Queenstown a lot. Yeah. You know, the people that I've met here really do make the place that much more special. And every time I come here now, because I'm a bit of a serial visitor to Queenstown <laughs> these days, um, I love reconnecting with those same folk and also meeting new people who have been here.
0: Um, yeah.
1: And having that, yeah, Unique ex- Queenstown experience that um, gives you little avenues into people's lives here. You know, I, I've definitely, I might just do a Carl
0: Ross and move yeah. <laughs> here. Like it's so, uh, it's so special. Yeah, really magical. It is. I think to the people that uh, come here regularly, that that don't just come here, have the experience and leave, but mm-hmm. continue to come back. That experience is so much fuller.
1: Yes. I found that every time I've been here I've gained a deeper connection and understanding to this place Mm. and place is really important in the work that I do and Mm. I don't think that for me to do a residency I can't be a person that just flits in and out. It has to be a recurring connection and something that will always be a little part of me as well as me leaving a little part of me there.
0: I think that that's something that's becoming more common as well with the residency. Mm -hmm. You know, there is this sort of bridge building that's happening, you know, in Queenstown with I guess guess sort of um, Hobart artists but the the state in general, there are these um, connections that are being made all over. Mm. With Queenstown as sort of like this meeting place, I suppose. Um, and I like I actually really like the idea of that meeting place not being an epicenter, like Hobart. Like the Queenstown artists aren't necessarily going to Hobart to have that community experience, but that the Artists in the epicenter are coming to this regional space, and yeah, this relationship is unfolding and growing. And yeah, yeah, in this tiny little pocket, you know. Because I think that yeah, I do, I do think you could go somewhere like Melbourne, Hobart, Brisbane, um, and stumble upon community quite easily, and um, sort of to find it out here. It's, it's, kind of bizarre and wonderful. For sure. Um, Yeah. And I think thinking about your show last night, there were so many different things that I loved about it. You know, the printmaking that you were Mm -hmm. doing of the um of these figures Mm -hmm. using that Japanese rice paper. Yeah. When I first saw it, I thought it was sort of like mylar or um some sort of tracing paper and then you feel it it's actually quite textural and beautiful
1: yeah, yeah no it's gorgeous the, I love that the ladies light. that Ad Art. Um, they're
0: amazing yeah
1: so they recommended that to me when I said that I was gonna be branching into some printmaking um because it's beautiful to print on it actually took to the print better than the like the lovely 300 GSM Muller paper that I'd also bought
0: mm. up
1: with me, <laughs> or anything else. So um, yeah, it was a really strong print image, and then also has this um, transparent quality to it that lends itself like to then a
0: window. layering <laughs> and windows and yeah, gorgeous things like that. Yeah. So I'd love um, to see it on a day where there's more light. Yeah, you know, yesterday was so overcast. Usually is. <laughs> But then also, you did you did create these these lamps with that same yeah, rice paper. Yeah, I did.
1: Paper. I did some lamps and some lanterns. Yeah, um, I love that play with light. I think which was really fun, and I yeah. want to play with light some more. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think light also is quite important in my work. I mean, I'm sure every painter probably says something along those lines. Um, can get a little bit repetitive, but yeah. It's important in the sense that it builds form, um, but also can be really evocative.
0: Mm.
1: It can make you feel, feel things that form alone probably couldn't.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, that large, the largest piece, I think, um, in the show was that uh, beautiful dark ink. The, of the yeah. river under the bridge. Yeah, so
1: that was when Harry and I were. Yeah, yeah, and
0: that. Had our nice day. It's so. And it is a really dark image. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't come across as dark and foreboding, you know. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. It's um, So we're talking about light. Mm-hmm. I do like the idea that you've been able to um, translate this beautiful scene with. with and, and having it be very dark. Mm without making it feel heavy, it doesn't feel heavy.
1: Yeah, that's something that I've had to really teach myself. Originally being an oil painter, transitioning into using things like ink, gouache, watercolour, it's the opposite process really because oils is all about the build-up and you can add the light later on. Mm. You don't have to leave things that come through, whereas with watercolour you do. Everything that you put on top is then going to be a darker, more opaque
0: Mm.
1: thing. Yeah, so to leave the the light of the the paper, the whiteness of the paper becomes the light, and it's very um, immediate, yeah, which I enjoy, but it can
0: be frustrating I think to work with. I, fe- I feel, and I'm sure I've spoken about this before, um, but I feel in my work that something... That I struggle with is uh, because it's very dense line work, it's the negative space that's the most important mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. We're talking about light and dark.
1: Yeah, positive, negative
0: space. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. I have this impulse to fill. Mm-hmm. Everything must be filled.
1: Yeah, well, that's a very human you yeah. Know, approach. <laughs> that, that yeah.
0: But in reality, there there has to be teaching yourself to pull back. Yeah. Let the work breathe
1: and also be loose. Something I've really struggled with is in my paintings in particular is just trying to keep being really tight and then I've sort of gotten to the point now where I keep stopping and asking myself well why am I trying to get this photographically perfect it's a painting you know it doesn't need to be and it should carry a bit more essence of me and a bit more mark of my hand and evidence of my input into it rather than being you know I was looking for my first few years of art school I really wanted to be this almost hyper realist painter and I wanted that Gerhard Richter essence to my work and things to all be very photographic and Now I feel that that's quite sterile and I could never be fully that type of an artist. And in my Mm. sketchbook, I've really been trying to loosen up and I just sit in cafes with a pen, specifically a pen and not a pencil that can be erased. Um, So I sit there and I do these really loose and it's really quick because it's just while I'm having coffee and then I'm off to do something else. And that has been really important, I think, for my practice in developing this looser approach. And I've tried to take that now into things like this, um, the work that you were talking about under the bridge. I just sat there for the couple of hours while Harry was doing his thing. I was just sat there in plein air sketching with a pen um, on this massive A1 sheet of paper. And then when we got back to the studio, I inked onto it as well to bring the tone into it. Yeah. yeah, But yeah, the immediacy of the line that you get with pens is something that I do want to translate to my paintings but i haven't quite got there because i don't want to yeah it's this weird battle of letting go of some of the detail but trying to hold on to what made you want to do that work in the first place and represent it the way that you want to see it
0: yeah I, i'm so so i was thinking about um david mm-hmm. fitzy yeah yeah he he's such a He's such an interesting person and and he has such incredible advice. Yeah. Something that he said to me recently, I say recently, This is probably a few months ago, was that if, so if we think, if we think linearly, we were talking about my work and these like very tight, small lines and, you know, we, we were talking about wanting to experiment more and becoming a little bit freer having a bit more flow and he sort of said to me you know you can't you can't jump from here Mm. to the other extreme end of that spectrum Mm. but you have to try to bring where you are and where that other extreme is closer into the center so it's not that where you are now is moving closer to the other extreme. It's, a it's both that pull both pull in together. Yeah, that yeah. they're both pulling in together. And that's something that never – had actually never occurred
1: to me. Yeah, because we have this very binary way of thinking yeah. that is, oh, what I'm doing is wrong. I want to change it. So it's not going to be that. It's something else. Yeah, yeah. But really everything's a spectrum.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I hadn't even thought I, – I thought that, okay, here's the thing that I need to change – or not change, but this is – this is where I am now. That's where I want to be. So I have to go from he- from A to B, mm-hmm. and not and and he's sort of just said, you know, why don't why not bring A and B closer? And it's just a thought process that kind of blew my mind a little mm. bit. Yeah, it sounds so simple, but it's um yeah, yeah, he's got a a
1: great brain
0: for problem solving. He's got a great brain. Like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um. Yeah, so we've been talking for a little while but the other thing, the last thing that I sort of really wanted to touch on was what I enjoyed so much about um, the your lino prints were the fact that they were almost comic-esque. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like, I mean, obviously that sort of um, in part is those there, the figures in these windows and these square boxes but also the the, um, you know, connection that you have with Lee and Josh and mm-hmm. co-owning that, that equipment and the moonshed. Yeah, and
1: that's all very exciting. So obviously
0: yeah. those guys are um, very interesting sort of comic graphic novelists. Yeah. Do you feel like their narrative? And They've their definitely influenced of, me a lot. It's like yeah. seeping in.
1: Yeah, and it's great to be able to have a little um, have a little look at what they're up to in Well, their house is their studio, basically. Um, so visiting Moonshed and seeing what they're working on in there has been really great for me to kind of see a little bit of the, um, the process for some other people as well. And I've recently got myself an iPad, which looking at Josh's work, that has been really important for him, and I wanted to touch – on that in my own practice and see where it could lead me i'm not really very tech savvy i'm trying and slowly getting there and watching lots of really annoying american voiced tutorials (laughs) on the internet but there's this amazing program called procreate Mm. that you'll hear a lot of artists talk about with the apple pencil and ipad and it was actually produced as an app from hobart the makers of Tasmanian which is amazing you know they have a studio in North Hobart I had
0: no idea yeah
1: yeah so it's really cool and it's this world-renowned app for drawing computerized yeah and yeah I really want to push that and expand on that and see where that can go as well because you have that same feeling of drawing with the pen and getting the line work
0: yeah I've had a little bit of a yeah play with it I'd
1: totally recommend it yeah um it might be great for your stuff and then you can erase straight away and it's not yeah yeah it's very malleable, which is almost to the detriment of a piece sometimes I think because Mm. then you can finesse things more than you would if it was physically on a piece of paper in front of you with pens
0: yeah that's something that I would like your opinion on I guess is that um uh I guess maybe this is a very traditionalist I don't know but when, when you've got a piece of paper and you're, you're working on something, when you're working in your journal and you're, mm-hmm. whatever it is that you're doing, yeah. um, you you have you have an object. it's it's real, it exists. I really enjoyed playing around with procreate. I thought it was re- it was really interesting. Mm. At the same time, the more that I played with it, the more aware I became that it was a copy of a copy. In that, because it's totally digital, the color isn't color. It's a copy of a co- of a color. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's
1: it's ones and zeros. That and it doesn't. Yeah.
0: That it isn't even a drawing. It's a. Do, do you know what I mean? I, I and I just I got sort of it really in my head about it, and I okay, couldn't escape yeah. this loop of does this. Mm. Actually exist? Is this something that exists mm-hmm. and um and then I think I just went went down a rabbit hole, <laughs> yeah couldn't get sure. back
1: out that's really interesting
0: um yeah, well,
1: it's yeah. interesting to see how artists respond to technology, you know and Absolutely. someone who comes to mind for me as you were talking then um is David Hockney
0: mm. and
1: his response to the invention and um prolification of the camera and mm. how that kind of then infiltrated the world of painting. And he's lived this in this amazing generation where that was first introduced really to the public as something that was very easily accessible and suddenly everyone became an artist and could take photos. And mm-hmm. his response to that, and now I went and saw a retrospective of his at Tate Britain a few years ago when I was in London and that was really amazing for me to see everything in person. And he'd done these iPad drawings. yeah. And you could see his whole process because part of what you can do with the iPad is record the build-up of your work as you're going with it, which is fascinating. It is. And he had on display these screens with all of these drawings and how he actually drew all of these images, a lot of which are of his bedroom window, Mm -hmm. various windows in his studio on different days, which I loved, (laughs) obviously. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. But I think that he has embraced technology
0: in well, I think, work. You know, it is it is another form of documentation. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately.
1: But yeah, I do see where you're coming from in terms of it not being a physical thing in front of you that you're touching, Which feeling, makes holding, me sound and like don't have the same feedback. Purist, no, not at all. You no, know, Yeah. I think that it's I different
0: think that everything yeah. is I, I think everything is valid. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there is that you know there still still in art there is the idea that painting is superior. Yeah, which
1: I've kind of fought with a little bit you know, and, and so in myself as well yeah, as so, um, going through art school and having people ask me, oh, what's your major? What are you doing? And yeah. me saying painting and they're being, oh, bloody lofty painter. <laughs> <laughs> Painting's dead. Painting always proclaims itself <laughs> as dead and then re-emerges. <laughs> and, oh, dear. I don't know about that. Um, I think it's always going to exist. It's a very human thing to do, mm. you know
0: yes and so for me to sort of say uh digital art is not hmm. uh doesn't exist it is like that's wrong that's not and that isn't actually how i feel i think it's it was just this thought process this this thought that popped into my head like a weed yeah um and i think that i'm still grappling with it yeah um and also it could just be as simple as it's not a medium that I feel connected to. It, it could just be that. Yeah, sure. Without yeah. any kind of, like, philosophical reasoning behind mm-hmm. it. Um, because, God, I've seen some incredible digital artwork that is, like, how, hmm. how... And also the thing is too that, you know, when I was talking to Tim, we were talking about the idea of that artists and, and art as a commodity mm-hmm. that buyers are sort of uh, like, you know, we're all about that archival paper, archival ink, it's got to last for a thousand years, where's yeah. the certificate of, and we were talking in relation to his work, existing and then being dismantled like it was never there mm. at all. In that, Yeah, he's really, really interested radical. in that.
1: We When we came together in March of last year, we did a work on the side of the pool, the Queenstown um, public swimming pool, yeah, outdoor pool, um, which instantly got degraded by um, the visitors to the skate park and kids and people yeah. because it was half paste up, half oil paint. And the paste up was still drying and people were tearing it off. Mm. And then my painting was still drying. The <laughs> frames that I painted around Tim's photographic images um, was still – and people were running their fingers through the wet paint and just instantly it was destroyed by locals. But Tim loved that. Yeah, <laughs> It was all part of his process for him. And we did write that into the statement that we put forward um, to council when we were applying to do that wall um, was that we accept and um, welcome the fact that this is a – um, transient work that's not going to be there forever and it will degrade over time
0: with the landscape. And that's what's so interesting about um, digital work. Yeah. And so that it that it can be <laughs> reproduced and reproduced and last forever but mm. also doesn't actually, doesn't actually exist, exist is kind of fascinating. In the fascinating. same world that we
1: exist, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for
0: sure. <laughs> so it's – um. Yeah. There's so many different viewpoints,
1: hmm.
0: and I love I love that you know talking about transience and and you feeling like you're a transient person and mm. um, it's just you throwing yourself into all of these different experiences really. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And windows, yeah, experiences and windows.
1: So I'm working on a show now with my friend george kennedy yeah who's a painter drawer printmaker amazing person that i met at art school and we've got an exhibition we managed to successfully apply and be accepted for the rosny barn um schoolhouse gallery
0: oh that's fantastic
1: which so we're going to be for two weeks in june in there have some work and I'm really excited for it to be collaborative, really mm. exciting to do more printmaking with him and really excited to use these gorgeous windows that are in that space in yes. some um, facet. So I've got to talk to um, the, um, the gallerists there and see what we can do. But hopefully that will, yeah, that'll be a good show. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I that think it's, it's going to be my first proper formal exhibition in Hobart really for quite some time.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah.
1: And I really hope that I can do it justice and afford the amount of time it's going to take to put into the show.
0: Yeah. Well, you're going to have that, that month soon. Yes. That you can Very really exciting. Really grateful
1: out. to Josh yeah. for inviting me to come stay at his house while he's not there because yeah. he's going on an amazing residency in Cradle. Um, yeah, so that's that's going to be great, um, a great time for some play. And I also – I rent a studio in Salamanca Art Centre, which is sort of a bit sacrilegious because I'm hardly ever there. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm co-renting that with three other artists um, who are all lovely painters. And I'm really trying it in there and I really need to – that's something that I keep ruminating on during this residency is that time isn't going to make itself for me and I really need to mm. – have that drive and have that, um, you know, have that ability to go to say no to other things.
0: Yeah, boundaries.
1: And say no to other work because I have been a bit of a yes man. Yeah, And I know I've talked to Lee and Josh about this as well and they also feel that they say yes to things quite a lot yeah. and everything is very exciting and, you know, obviously the the dewy freshness of a new idea and a new thing to work yeah. on is so alluring. But at the same time, I really feel um, very keen to knuckle down for this next little while and do, yeah, do some serious work and I'm really thankful that I was able to do this two weeks in QBank. Because what that you... has really led me to this yeah. new um fire, I guess, under me. Yeah, to keep working and doing things.
0: What do you think – do you think that there is importance in having a physical space to – Such importance, yeah. yeah, I think so too. Really
1: inspiring, you know, reading things like Virginia Woolf's Room of One's Own, particularly for women, but also just for everyone and artists – Anyone creative, you do really need that space. And talking to Ray recently, Ray Arnold, about it and saying, oh, your house is so much like your art and Mm. vice versa and you really become your own haven and you put yourself into the walls and things. Yeah. And I find that so inspiring that your home is your studio yeah. Um. And I want that for myself one day. You know, I want to be in a home that is also an art studio and keep making work the rest of my life. And That's he's such an inspiration.
0: Yeah, he really is. What yeah. he's been able to accomplish is, is mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I mean, for me, it's only been recently that it's even occurred to me that having having a space dedicated to art making is so important. I think growing up, you know, I had this idea that you, sharing – I was fine with small spaces. I was fine with sharing spaces. You know, I often lived in share houses which were not share houses but garages okay. with, you know, four yeah. other people and you just sort of share that wow. space. It's in a communal. Yeah. It's a communal space. Mm. And so even living here, it's sort of only been the last year or so that I thought – I'm this is a space that I'm working in but it's not the, it's not my space and I can't properly work in it mm-hmm. because half of it is Henry's mm. and he, he brings his toys out and it's kind of dampening my vibe yeah. it's yeah. not so I, I yeah I think mm-hmm. that having a dedicated physical space is really really important and, yes and also sometimes it not being your home mm-hmm. as well like
1: Yeah, that's something I felt as well, but it just really depends on your situation, you know. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, I was really thrilled to be able to get the opportunity to rent in Salamanca Arts Centre. Yeah. And I have not made the most of that opportunity so far and it's very annoying, (laughs) but I need to get in there. But I've also been promoted in my job in a bar yeah a couple of times and yeah. it's really how long is a piece of string as to how much of myself I could put into each of the things that I do yeah which becomes very draining so I've got to, yeah yeah I've got to really keep a lid on all of that and make sure that it's in my best interests what I do and yeah. I'm really grateful you know to my um my work to be able to allow me two weeks off after just having promoted me to assistant manager, I don't. They must really like you. (laughs) They must appreciate me somehow. Um, Yeah. So I'm excited, yeah, to go back to Hobart, but it's also going to be a lot of work when I get back, but I'm ready and going to take it by the horns, I hope.
0: Yeah. That sounds great. Mm. Where can people find you? if they want to find you. Oh. Are you <laughs> do online? I want to be found? Do you want to
1: be found? I've got, I've got a website that I haven't updated in ages, nice. but that's there and it's got some of my older work and I really should spend some time putting up my newer work on there. So I might do that. Before. Yeah, I
0: think, yes. um, Tim is probably the, only artist that tim's website is immaculate (laughs) yeah i love
1: looking at tim's (laughs) website but i also hate it because it makes me feel so inadequate
0: i think i said (laughs) to him that he that he is the only person only artist (laughs) i've ever met with an updated website yeah yeah so
1: yeah it's um it's something that i have to force myself to do but it's going to be great so i'm abigailrothery.com.au and it's a Squarespace website, which was very easy to set up. That's great. But I use Instagram. I'm on Instagram. The handle is at absrods. And yeah, other than that, you can find me working a lot in bars in Hobart, preachers, and also the Mayfair. Um,
0: There's still life classes.
1: Yeah, doing life drawing at Simple Cider which is, I think, 189 Elizabeth Street. Don't quote me on that (laughs) for the address. Um, And those guys have been great to me, yeah, Um, being able to set up those classes. Just off the back of meeting Patrick one day when he came to deliver cider to my bar where I work Mm. and then going from a lovely conversation we had there about this new warehouse space that he was excited to be opening up and inviting creatives in to participate in the growth of this new little...
0: Hub. Um, it feels like dominoes, you know. You just sort of yeah. meet someone, and then something yeah, takes that's, off. Yeah, that's always how it happens for yeah, me. that's yeah. how I've
1: gotten every single job I've ever gotten. That's how I've met the most incredible people in my life. Is just all through these little, tiny interactions that then grow to something great.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. Some people kind of they meet me and they think that it's this really happy-go-lucky persona. But I think you just, your connections and your approach to people should be positive and should have that kind of slightly opened door policy. Yeah. And you will then attract
0: yeah. that
1: kind of energy that you want to attract. No, definitely. That's, definitely. That's always been my approach anyway.
0: I think that, yeah, again, that really resonates with me, and I, but I also think that not being I know that I've faltered because Mm -hmm. of my naivety Mm. and um that is dangerous I can relate to that a lot yeah so definitely door open yeah with love and joy yeah or curtains open to a window yeah curtains open yeah
1: Yeah, curtains open letting the light in but not necessarily showing people everything definitely
0: definitely (laughs) Thank Mm. you so much for doing this. I'm so Thank you, Emily.
1: Yeah, thanks for making time.
0: Yeah, it's been great. This was local. This project would not be possible without the incredible community of folks who make time to chat nor would it be possible without the tremendous support of the West Coast community. If this episode offered you something good, please consider rating the show via Apple Podcasts. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is supported by Tess Gilfeder. Our artwork was made by Gigi Quartz. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund. For more information on the podcast and its guests, please go to localthepodcast.com or local the podcast on Facebook and Instagram.